Hey, this is Aaron Salvato. You're listening to the podcast for The Forge. The Forge is a weekly gathering in Yukon, Oklahoma, that focuses to build up, encourage, refresh, and strengthen people who are serving in any kind of ministry, whether that be inside the church or outside of the church walls. We know firsthand how exhausting and hard ministry can be, so our goal is to each week leave people who serve Jesus with something to fill them up so they can continue to pour out into the lives of the people that God's put in front of them. This first episode, we're going to bring you a sermon in John chapter 21 called A Feast of Mercy and Grace. Thanks for listening. We hope you find this to be a moment of refreshment and encouragement as you continue to follow and serve Jesus. Yeah, so I think uh, the first thing I would ask you is, do you ever feel trapped? Do you ever feel trapped? Trapped by the reality that you're not who you're supposed to be. Like, you know in your mind what a good Christian looks like, but no matter what you do, you just realize that you keep messing up. You keep blowing it. Well, if you if you feel that way, I want to share with you a story about Peter from John chapter 21. This is honestly one of my favorite stories. It's the ending to the Gospel of John. It's this perfect ending. It's so simple, but it's so good. So remember what happens in the Gospel of John. You've got Jesus. He comes. He lives this amazing life. He gathers these disciples. They're going around, and Jesus is healing and and blessing people and teaching people about the kingdom of God. And then he's arrested, put on trial, and then crucified, killed. And the disciples are heartbroken. Their whole world is shattered because to them, Jesus was everything. They, they had dedicated their lives to this person they thought was the Messiah. And now all their hopes are dashed. But then Jesus rises from the dead and appears to the disciples and just their minds are blown and everything clicks and they realize this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Like this is the one that holds the key to everything. And they're, they're so excited, but, but Peter, Peter is just shattered. He's, he's trapped by his failure. He's so discouraged at the end of John because He knows that he blew it. He knows that the last thing that happened to him was that he betrayed Jesus. Just like Judas, Peter betrayed Jesus as well. And the direction of my heart in sharing this is for those of us who serve Jesus, but we feel like we feel this burden of knowing that we've let God down, whether it's by sin laziness, not living up to our own expectations or standards. This message is for people who feel like they're separated from God's ability to use them and work in them. Because maybe you're like Peter, you know, you, you're a servant of Jesus. You've been chosen by Jesus. But I mean, think about Peter's journey. He's this young 
uneducated fisherman. He's selected by the rabbi, Jesus, for this kingdom mission. He's, he's chosen, and he gets into the inner circle. He's one of Jesus's main three guys. He experiences miracles. He sees Jesus perform amazing signs and wonders. And then eventually Peter does miraculous things himself. He's walking on water. And yeah, I mean, Peter had his ups and downs. He, he said foolish things all the time. He was constantly putting his feet in his mouth. And then, of course, there's the famous story of Peter walking on the water. And what happens? I mean, he's got his eyes on Jesus, but then he, he starts to doubt. He starts to think this storm is actually so big that even though Jesus is with me, I don't, I don't know if I can actually survive out here. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink. There's the moment of pride where when Jesus says to the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And even tonight, you're all going to forsake me. In his last night in the garden, Peter says, never I, Lord. There's no way that I would possibly betray you in any way. And yet when he's supposed to be praying with Jesus in the garden, he falls asleep. When Jesus is arrested, Peter attacks a servant and chops off his ear in direct violation of Jesus's nonviolence teachings. He runs, he hides. And when people ask him, don't you know this Jesus? He denies and says, I don't know the guy. I don't have anything to do with him. And that's where we find Peter in John 21. It says, after this, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And they say, we'll go with you. And so they go out in the boat and they spend all night fishing, but they catch nothing. And in this moment, like, oh man, Peter just feels like such a failure. He thinks, God is finished with me. And on top of that, I can't even catch any fish. It makes me think of this shed that I had in my last house in my backyard. And there was all these items that were in that shed where I wasn't going to throw them away. I was still holding on to them, but they were broken. And I had no use for them. They were kind of just sitting there. And maybe that's how you feel at times. I know that's how Peter felt. He felt broken. He felt like, God isn't going to use me anymore. And maybe at times you've felt that way. You look at your life and you think, I'm too broken to be used. There's too much wrong with me to be used. I don't have enough goodness in me to be fully used by God. I know my brokenness. I know Jesus knows my brokenness. How could I ever be the person that God is calling me to be? And so in the story, I mean, yeah, Jesus did appear to Peter in the previous chapter, which is great, but Jesus and Peter really haven't had a moment in the story. Remember, the last thing that happened between them is Peter denied Jesus. And there's this horrible scene where the rooster crows three times and, and Peter and Jesus lock eyes and Peter can see the pain in Jesus' eyes, and then Jesus goes off and is crucified. Imagine letting your friend down, and then your friend goes off and is killed. Peter is just, he's just racked with guilt at this moment. 
And, and Peter believes that his time in ministry is over. So he goes back to what he did before, which is fishing. He goes back to the boat. And I've seen this so many times. I've seen young people serving Jesus, loving Jesus, and then they fail and they mess up. And so they end up falling back to their old ways. It's, it's so tragic to me. People who have so much potential, but because they believe that now they're damaged goods because they've committed things that are wrong, they've let God down, they've betrayed Jesus. Instead of pursuing Christ, instead of trying to grow, instead of trying to repent and move forward, they fall back to old sins and old ways. And, and now, yeah, Peter, I mean, he's failing at even fishing. Like the one thing he was good at before Jesus showed up and changed his life, he can't even do that. Nothing is coming into the nets. And, and Peter believes that there's no place in God's plan for him anymore. He's totally giving up. And I'm sure as he was fishing and catching nothing, his mind went back to that original story where Jesus met him on the water. You know, Peter is in this boat and he doesn't know who Jesus is. He's just a fisherman. That's what his dad does. That's what he does. And all of a sudden, this rabbi, this crazy, wild-eyed rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth shows up on the shore and says, Hey, Peter, fisherman Peter, I noticed you've been fishing all day today and catching nothing. Why don't you try throwing your net on the other side of the boat? And Peter's in this moment probably thinking, Jesus, I am a fisherman. This is my job. This is what I do. You're a carpenter. Go build a bookshelf or something. Like, why are you telling me how to fish? But Jesus insists. He's like, hey, trust me. This is going to be great. And so, yeah, Peter does it. He takes the net. He throws it on the other side of the boat. And miraculously, like all of these fish start swarming the net. And it's filled so big that it actually bursts and breaks. It's this incredible moment where Peter's mind is blown. And he looks at Jesus and he's like, oh, man, there is something special about this Jesus guy. I'm, I'm going to follow him. <laughs> it's life changing. And that was the pattern. Jesus was constantly blowing Peter's mind, showing him things that he never imagined were possible. But now Peter is thinking in this moment, if only I could have that moment back, if only I could start over, if only I could go back to, to the beginning, to what Jesus showed me in the beginning, and now I'm too far gone. This is where the story gets so good. Look at verse 4. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And so he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And they said, no. And so Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard that, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water and swam to the shore to meet with Jesus. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging along the giant net of fish. This is just, it's so 
it's so stinking beautiful because there's so much symmetry in this story. There's so many callbacks. The story really is Peter's redemption story. Like the way Jesus works here is just so, so beautiful. It makes me think of my wife. My wife is so good at giving gifts. In fact, she develops these amazing special items for people that she loves. She'll prepare these packages and inside these packages, there's all these callbacks to inside jokes and stories. And I just love it so much because it reminds me of this, this picture of Jesus. Jesus is giving Peter a gift that is packed with callbacks to so many points in Jesus's story with Peter. Think about it. It's, it's exactly the same thing. In, in the first time Jesus ever meets Peter, he's fishing, he isn't catching anything. And Jesus shows up this mysterious figure saying, hey, have you caught anything yet? And it's kind of annoying. It's kind of embarrassing. And then there's this instruction of, why don't you obey me? Why don't you listen to me? Take your net and throw it on the other side. This is exactly what Jesus does. He shows up again. He's this mysterious figure on the shore. And he says, have you caught anything? And the answer is no. And then Jesus says, now take your net and throw it on the other side. What is Jesus doing? He's showing Peter that this is a new start. It's a new beginning. It's a reboot to Peter's story. It's a second chance. It's this extension of Jesus's amazing mercy and grace. And I love that moment of recognition. John, he notices, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And there's this callback to that moment in the storm where the disciples see this ghost-like figure walking towards them and they're freaking out. And then they realize it's the Lord. And Peter is the one to jump out of the boat and start walking on water. Well, right again, we have this repetition. Jesus shows up in our story. They realize it's the Lord. And the next thing you know, Peter is diving out of the boat. Everyone else is in the boat sailing towards Jesus. For Peter, it's not fast enough. He's, he has to swim to get to Jesus. And Peter's repeating history without even knowing it. Even though Peter is defeated, we can see in his response to seeing Jesus that he has a fierce passion for God. And this has always been what God looks for. He's not, he's not focused on our failures. He's focused on our heart. Do we have a heart for him? Do we have a desire for him? When we fail, do we let our failures consume us or do we turn to Jesus in repentance? I love what Dave Hunt says. The more clearly we see the infinite chasm between God's glory and our sinful falling short, the greater will be our appreciation of his grace and love in bridging that gap to redeem us. And that's so true. You know, the more we're willing to lay down our pride in the way we think of ourselves and actually acknowledge the darkness in ourselves, the more we realize the sin in our life the greater will appreciate the grace and love in Jesus. The story gets even better in verse 9. It says, When they landed, they saw this fire of burning coals. 
and it wasn't fire and brimstone. It wasn't hellfire. No, there was fish on it. And the Bible says, some bread. Fish and some bread. That's so great. Jesus said to them in verse 10, Hey, guys, bring some of the fish you've just caught. That would go great with this breakfast. (laughs) So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. And it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Then Jesus said, Come and have breakfast with me. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was Jesus. He was in a new glorified body. But even so, they knew this had to be the only person who would do this for them. It had to be Jesus. In verse 14, this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples right after he was raised from the dead. This is so beautiful. He says, come and have breakfast with me. What a beautiful thing. Who's who's he saying it to? He's saying it to the disciples who abandoned him on the night of his betrayal and arrest. Every single one of them betrayed him in some way. Did they deserve this? Did they deserve breakfast on the beach? They abandoned him. They doubted him. They left him. Imagine, imagine being in a situation where at school or work, you're all of a sudden ganged up on and attacked by people at your school or coworkers, people accusing you of things you haven't done, people trying to destroy you, and your friends are standing by, and instead of sticking up for you, they completely bail. They just turn and run, and they leave you to face the destruction of people who hate you. Would you want to make them breakfast in bed? Would you want to spend time with these friends who who stabbed you in the back? Any normal person would have gathered these disciples there at the beach to chew them out, to let them know how they were the worst and how Jesus was going to just go and get new disciples. But that's not how Jesus works. Instead, he greets them with breakfast. It's this feast of mercy and grace. And man, this just this just speaks to me so much honestly because I've messed up so many times in my life. I've blown it. I've let Jesus down. And to be completely honest, there's times where I get so down on myself, so discouraged because I know who I could be, but then I look in the mirror and I see who I actually am. And I don't feel worthy of God's love. I don't feel worthy of his forgiveness. When I was younger, when I was a younger Christian, I used to have a lot more pride. I used to think of myself more highly. I didn't think my sin was all that big. But the older I get, the more I realize how deeply flawed I am and how broken I actually am. And that can lead me to be so discouraged. And maybe you are with me on that. Maybe you feel that. The frustration that even though you've been a Christian so long, you still mess up. You're not perfect. And I just love in this story the heart of Jesus because he knows all of that. He knows these disciples failed. He knows they screwed up. And he knows that they'll screw up in the future. 
and his response is a feast of mercy and grace. It's looking at these disciples and saying, I love you so much that even though you've blown it, even though you betrayed me, I'm here for you right now. I've prepared a table for you. A feast is ready for you. Let's keep going together. Let's keep walking together. Nothing can separate you from my love. Because yes, you've made mistakes, but my death was to cover those mistakes. This moment was a moment for these disciples where they probably were realizing this in a way that they never had. Think about it. This is right after the cross. This is probably one of the first experiences, one of the first truly Christian experiences, a moment where the weight of the cross was truly felt, where these men were able to look to their savior who hung on a cross. And it wasn't just words, with actions Jesus was showing them, this is what I died for. I died so that even though you have made so many mistakes, we can continue in friendship. We can continue to walk together. We can continue in love. It's so beautiful. Charles Spurgeon says, I believe that as often as I transgress, God is more ready to forgive me than I am ready to offend. It's oh, so beautiful. You know, as much as we are failures, Jesus is so even more ready to forgive us. And it's important to understand, what's the motivation for God forgiving? You know, I used to see it as, you know, forgiveness is something God has to do because it's his job. That's his character, that's who he is. But no, it's not, he doesn't do it because he has to, he does it because he wants to. Like, do you get that? He deeply, deeply wants to forgive you. And that's the beautiful thing about forgiveness is forgiveness is it's meant to set us free, not free to keep sinning. See, when, when we sin and there's no forgiveness, we're consumed with guilt and shame and there's no freedom. It's just emptiness, it's just guilt, it's just shame and nothing else. And so we're consumed by our failure and there's no hope. And so we just slip into these patterns of sin. We give in, we sink. But forgiveness, what forgiveness does is forgiveness says there's hope and there's freedom and the chains of what you've done the chains of your sin, they're loose, and you can step out of those chains. Sin is like this wall that cuts us off, and he wants to tear that wall down. Alan Redpath says, It's Satan's delight to tell me that once he's got me, he will keep me. But at that moment, I can go back to God, and I know that if I confess my sin, God is faithful and just to forgive me. And that's the truth. Satan wants us to think that once he's got us, he has us. 
He's got us in his grab. Once we've messed up, once we've sinned, once we've fallen, there's no hope for us. We're damaged goods. And yet, Jesus is so faithful and ready and willing to break the chains every time, to tear down the wall every time. Forgiveness tears down the wall between relationship. And we're going to see this in the next section. Look at verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Now, this is an interesting part. It's a powerful scene, but oftentimes there's this question of interpretation. What does it mean when Jesus says more than these? Think back to the scene. They're sitting there with the disciples, with a bunch of fish, and Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? What's he saying? Well, there's a couple different options. One is Jesus saying, do you love me more than these people love me? <laughs> They're sitting around the fire. Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Option two, do you love me more than you love these other guys? Do you love me more than you love your friends? And option three, do you love me more than the fish and the boat and the nets and the sea, your old life? And there's many commentators who believe that's what the meaning is. Do you love me more than your old life? Are you willing to commit to this new life with me? But I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you my take on it. And it's just my take. I could totally be wrong. But I think... I think we see something interesting in Peter's response. Peter doesn't say, Lord, of course I love you more than fishing. Instead, Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you. Emphasis on the I. It's also interesting to note that in the original Greek, the word used for the word these, do you love me more than these? is actually a personal pronoun that's hardly ever used unless talking about a person, not objects. So the way I would interpret this is this is a callback to Simon Peter claiming that he was the most loyal disciple. Remember, he was the one who said, Lord, I am the one who will never deny you. I am the one who will never forsake you. And just imagine the awkwardness of this moment. Jesus doesn't pull Peter's side for this moment privately. He does this with all the disciples. He says, I believe, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples do? Peter, you say you love me the most. Do you love me the most? Why would Jesus ask this? Is this a legitimate question? Is Jesus really wondering who loves him the most? Remember, Peter was the one who said, I know all these other chumps are going to forsake you, but I will never leave you or forsake you or deny you. And yet that's exactly what Peter does. He denies Jesus. So just imagine the awkwardness of this moment. Jesus is saying, Peter, do you really love me more than these like you say you do? And you can imagine the people around the circle would be thinking, oh man, Jesus is really going to let Peter have it. He's setting him up. He's, he's going to unload on him. He's saying, you know, Peter, do you really love me? Do you really love me the most? 
But is that what happens? No, look at, look, let's read it. Look at uh, verse 15 again. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I do. You know that I love you. And Jesus' response is, feed my lambs. And then in verse 16, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then the third time, he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's hurt because Jesus asks him now the third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. There's so much richness and beauty in this story. Jesus asks Peter a second time, do you love me? Now, a lot of times when people ask us that question, we get defensive. We will use our actions to defend ourselves. You know, someone says, well, do you really love me? And we say, yes, of course. Look, look, you know I love you because look at what I've done. I bought you presents. I took you out on nice dates. I took out the trash. I did the dishes, right? I've done this. I've done this. But it's significant that Peter doesn't really have any sort of defense for the question. Remember, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And all Peter can say is just, you know I do. He has no defense because he knows that he messed up. Like he can't go back to his actions because his actions show his failure. And so all he can say, Peter is stripped down in this moment. He doesn't have his pride anymore. All he can say is just, well, well, Lord, you, you know, you know I love you. You know I love you. If Jesus were to ask us, do you love me? What would our response be? What evidence would we have to show for our love? Would it be, you know, maybe, oh, I go to church, so you know I love you, Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home, so you know I love you. I serve, I volunteer in the youth group. You know that I love you. See, Jesus is doing this for a reason. He's not making some sentimental plea. He's not trying to make Peter explain the depths of his love for Jesus. He's not fishing for compliments. He's asking a question that demands a decision because he said before, if you love me, you will, you'll obey me. You'll follow me. The proof is in the obedience. And it makes me think, you know, what's the proof of my obedience? You know, when Jesus says, do you love me? Is my answer, yes, Lord, of course I love you. Just the other day I prayed for 12 hours and I finished reading 70 chapters of Leviticus. And what an interesting book it is. And I think if that would be my response, Jesus would look at me and say, I never asked you to do that. That's just religion. You can fake that easily. See, Jesus wants to know, are we really in a relationship? That's what he's asking Peter. Are we really in a relationship? Are we really following him? And that's why he asks this third time, do you love me? And man, that one hurt Peter. There was a lot of pain. Just imagine the tension and awkwardness. As he said the question for a third time, I feel bad for Peter. Like Peter already said it twice. Yes, Lord, do you know I love you? Don't you believe me? 
And in this moment, he's thinking, ah, I've, I knew it. I failed too much. He's done with me. He's doing this to humiliate me. It's been this roller coaster of emotions in this tiny moment for Peter. The first question, do you love me, seems to almost be a compliment to Peter. You know, Peter, do you love me more than everyone else? The second question seems to be an annoyance almost. But the third question for Peter is heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking because this is the third time. And Peter had just denied Jesus three times. The last time he denied Jesus, he was sitting by a fire. And for the third time, he said, I don't love that man. I don't even know that man. And here he is again being asked a third time, do you love me? And Peter just keeps insisting, yes, Lord, you know I do. And Jesus just gives this cryptic little response, then then feed my sheep. And Peter must be thinking, man, this is heavy. The other shoe is about to drop. Jesus is about to say what he's really thinking. He's about to just unload. Well, Peter, if you really love me, why did you deny me? Why did you let me get arrested? Why did you let me die? Peter, you're the worst. But that's not what Jesus says. Now, what does he say? He says, Peter, feed my sheep. Don't go back to your old life. Put away your nets. Put away the boat. Put away the fish. I have much better things for you. This is a beautiful moment. Yes, this, this moment was painful for Peter, but the pain didn't last. It ends with amazing joy. Because in this moment, Jesus is showing Peter that this entire time, Peter has been going through this depression. And Peter has defined himself by the moment he denied Jesus three times. And when Peter thought of himself in his mind, he just thought, worthless, broken, failure, screw up. But Jesus actually wanted Peter to define himself by this moment. Not the three questions and the denial, but the three questions of grace. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. It's so beautiful. It's so brilliant. This, this undeserved breakfast. Jesus is like a brilliant chef preparing a beautiful feast of grace and mercy. And his whole motive is just relationship. Notice here what Jesus is concerned about. It's Peter's love. He's not grilling Peter on a list of failures. Peter, why did you deny me? Why did you leave me? Why did you forsake me? No, his only concern is about the restoration of relationship. It's righteousness. He only speaks of love. And I think that's what some of you need to hear. Maybe you're failing in some way. Maybe you're, you're sinning. You're letting Jesus down. You're making mistakes. You're not living up to the standards you've put on yourself. You're not living up to who you know you're supposed to be in Christ. And it just it kills you. It, it tears you up inside. 
because you know you're called to serve Jesus. You know that you're called to minister to others. You know that God has called you into ministry and yet your failures just eat you alive. Listen, Jesus is not looking for long, awkward conversations where he just dumps on you reminders of your failures. He's not looking to grill you and make you feel bad and bring up all of your problems. He's not the enemy who wants to debate you and bring up all your flaws. No, he's much more concerned with restoring you to a love relationship. If he's going to bring up your flaws, it's only to protect you from the poison within. He wants to restore you the goodness and beauty of love and righteousness in relationship. You may feel distant. You may feel separated. And he looks at you and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I ask because I love you. Charles Stanley says, when we stray from his presence, he longs for us to come back. He longs for it. And you might even be here. Maybe you're here and you're serving in ministry. You're, you're serving others on a weekly basis, but you don't even feel like you hear the voice of God anymore. You don't even feel like he speaks to you. Listen, the farther, the farther a sheep wanders, the harder it is to hear the shepherd. Jesus is amazing. He doesn't just say, well, you know, if that sheep wants to run off, fine. That's, that's on them. I hope they learn their lesson. No, he's a good shepherd. He always goes after his sheep. And in this moment, Peter is found. He's the wandering sheep and Jesus finds him. He shows up and invites him with a breakfast to follow him once again. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. What does he say? What does he say? He says, he doesn't just say, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. It's a beautiful thing that the good shepherd is inviting Peter back into the shepherding business. The ultimate failure is being given the ultimate privilege of pastoring God's people, of leading the church. Peter had given up. He never thought he would go back into ministry. It reminds me of my experience in my middle school basketball team. I just sat on the bench and I didn't want to play. I wasn't good. I knew I wasn't good. Everyone knew I wasn't good. And eventually I checked out and I didn't even watch the game when my team played. I just brought a book and just sat on the bench and read a book because I knew I would never be used. Peter's there. He's, he's checked out. He's just, all I want to do is fish. I can't be used. And Jesus says, get off the bench. I need you in this game. I love what Phillips Brooks says. He says, you must learn and you must let God teach you that the only way to get rid of your past is to make a future out of it. God will waste nothing. This is so true. Peter is this fisherman. Jesus says, become a fisher of men. Preach the gospel. Shepherd the church. And Peter takes this to heart. He really does. He later on in Peter's letters to the church, he writes one of my favorite verses. First Peter 5, 2. 
be shepherds of God's flock that is among you. This shows that Peter took these words seriously. He held them dearly. His role as a shepherd, he thought of as something precious. When Jesus says, feed my sheep, it's not this passive aggressive reminder of how Peter is failing. Instead, it's a picture of Jesus giving an amazing responsibility to someone who doesn't deserve it. Jesus is so merciful. Can't you just see a scene where if Jesus was more human, if Jesus had the flesh like us, he would have concluded that Peter wasn't fit to lead. I can just see Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. That's good, Peter but you messed up. Your love wasn't enough. John, I want you to lead. You can be the leader of the church. Sorry, Peter. You can be the janitor. Right? That's how we think. But God is the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. He gives this job to Peter who absolutely doesn't deserve it. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. When God is involved, anything can happen be open, stay that way. God has a beautiful way of bringing good vibrations out of broken chords. That's so good. Listen, some of you listening to this might be holding back from following Jesus with your whole heart. You might have a million excuses. My sin is too great. I just am too much of a failure. Listen, you're missing out. Here's why. Alan Redpath said, there's some task which the God of the universe, the great creator, your redeemer, Jesus Christ, has for you to do. And it's going to remain undone and incomplete until by faith and obedience, you step into the will of God to do it. Don't let the enemy tell you you can't follow. This story, Peter, is beautiful. It shows God is faithful to complete the work he began. Jesus reveals to us the heart of Yahweh, our God, a heart dedicated to covenant faithfulness. This story is a beautiful representation of God's covenant faithfulness. Since Adam, God has made covenants, partnerships with humans. And what happens? They fail. They mess up. Adam failed. Noah failed. Abraham failed. David failed. Peter fails. Yet Jesus picks him. God continues to partner with humans that he knows will fail. And yet Jesus moves the story forward with his grace and mercy. This story is like a snapshot of the heart of our God. Jack Hiles said, Failing is not a disgrace unless you make it the last chapter of your book. Listen, I believe God is speaking to us saying, Let's work together. Peter's so happy to receive this grace, even though he knows following Jesus is going to cost him his life. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Peter, that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he says to Peter, follow me. He gives Peter this glimpse into the future, saying, Peter, one day, one day, things will not go well for you as you follow me. And history tells us that Peter 
was actually one day crucified upside down. But it's, it's beautiful because it shows that Jesus trusts Peter. Why did Peter deny Jesus? Why did he deny him three times? It was fear, fear of death. It was fear of death that led to that denial. But now Peter has seen the resurrection and there's no fear. There's total commitment. He could say like Watchman Nee, Christ, the son of God, who died for the redemption of sinners and resurrected after three days is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. The description that Jesus gives Peter of his death is it's not punishment. It's actually a privilege. And Peter sees it now. He sees that he has no need for fear because he has a bulletproof soul. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says. We want to avoid suffering, death, sin, ashes, but we live in a world crushed and broken and torn, a world God himself visited to redeem. We receive his poured out life and being allowed the high privilege of suffering with him may then pour ourselves out for others. It's so good. We so want to avoid all these things, suffering, death, but we live in this broken world. And when we receive Jesus and his poured out life that was poured out for us, then we're allowed this privilege of ourselves being poured out for others. And yes, that brings hardship, it brings suffering, but he's with us every step of the way. And we have something that those who don't have Christ do not have. We have mercy, we have grace, forgiveness for sins, strength to carry on, a God who loves us so much. I just wanna encourage you listening to this. Wherever you're at, whatever you've done, however you've messed up, the story of the gospel is still being written and God is not finished with us. We have a mission. There's a world full of lost sheep and they need the good shepherd. And it's our job to simply just point people to that great shepherd to feed the sheep that God's put in front of us. Some of you have been lied to by the enemy. You think I can't follow God, I'm not good enough. You, you list all of your failures and flaws and sins and Jesus says to you, forget that noise, do you love me? And you might think, but Lord, I messed up. And he says, that's not what I asked. I know that you failed, but do you love me? Because I love you. Remember what he says to the woman caught in adultery. Where are your accusers? They're not here, but go and sin no more. Get up, keep walking. We're not done. I have so much for you. Follow me.